Don't put anything controversial that I say <laughs> in the final cut of the pod. Not trying to get canceled. Not trying to get canceled on the second day. Okay. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to our second episode of Movies That Raised Us. Yay. Thank you so much for joining. Yes. If you tuned into the first episode and are back for more, we will not disappoint you. We are friends now. You're welcome to come over for dinner anytime once we're out of quarantine, of course. Yeah. Christina makes a great pasta. I do. Pasta is a big part of my brand. I don't know why I'm pausing. We had a lot of technical difficulties today. Like, so many. I wanted to die. Yeah, I I don't know anything about computers. I don't understand them, so I don't feel qualified to be using them. We even, we started this, I want to say we started this twice. The second time we were just so low energy, it was abysmal. We were just really beaten down by... uh most computer not wanting to cooperate by these freaking magic robots that control our lives literally i feel dictated i feel like this piece of technology is my dictator yeah but i digress (laughs) okay we're gonna have a great time we just had a little mini dance party i think the caffeine will start kicking in we'll be ready to talk about this fabulous movie for today which is the 2000 classic Bring It On. All right. Bring It On was originally supposed to be a documentary. Can you imagine that? Well, with cheer. Yeah. Now I can. But back in the day, back in the day, definitely not. Because this movie is 20 years old now, which is is insane. insane. That is 20 years old. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if this ever um, comes across your mind, but I always think I'm like, how did I go 20 years without dying? I'm not 20. I'm 24. But, you know. It's crazy. I don't know how I've been kept alive this this whole time i'm like a fragile houseplant (laughs) um but yeah it was supposed to originally be a dog which is kind of insane because cheer is so successful now it makes you wonder if this were a documentary would it have been just as successful or like were people too unfamiliar with that world to make the movie a success i think it probably wouldn't have been as successful because this was kind of the first mainstream representation of cheerleading I think, especially like competitive cheerleading specifically, not just like a cheerleader in a romantic comedy about high school. So this, I think, was the first time it was really shown as a sport, even in like a comedic joking film. So I think it paved the way for a lot of more like cheer content throughout the years. Totally, I agree. So the this movie is starring Kirsten Dunst as Torrance and Gabrielle Union as Isis. And those are kind of our two main players. And one thing that we learned while uh, researching this movie is that Torrance was actually based really heavily on Gwen Stefani. The writer had a picture of her hanging above her desk while she was writing the script. And I think that's very fitting because, as we know, Gwen Stefani has a very long track record of cultural appropriation throughout the 90s and the 2000s. Totally. For all of y'all, I'm assuming most of you have watched the movie, but if you haven't, here's a little spoiler alert. It is really heavily about cultural appropriation, specifically between these two cheerleading teams, the Clovers and the Toros, which when we were reading about the movie, 
we found out they had different choreographers. Um, they had different choreographers, so one choreographer would work with the Clovers and make a much more, like, fluid, dynamic, like, cheer. And then the Toros choreographer would make the cheer more white and, like, stiff um, to show, like, the different teams. And really because the Toros pretty much jacked the Clovers routines. And then they did them, but not as good. Yeah, I think it's very clear when you watch the Toros perform that stylistically they're just not even close to being as good as the Clovers. Yeah, the Clovers are so much more natural. Yeah, there's no like oomph to it at all. Yeah. It's just kind of bland. Yeah, until they come up with their oh, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it yet. Make it a surprise. Yeah, when I watched this movie as a child, because I, I definitely don't think I watched it when it first came out when I was four, but I definitely watched it as a kid, and it really made me want to be a cheerleader, even though that was not, like, a culture that I lived in at all. Like, my school didn't have cheerleaders. It's a very, like, quintessential American thing. And I, I wasn't athletic either, so I don't know what I was thinking, but I did really, really want to be a cheerleader. I thought it looked like so much fun and like the competition was insane. Yeah, I loved watching the cheerleading movies and I was like, I want to strut through my school wearing this cute little skirt and like crop top combo. And then I actually went to when I was like really little after I quit dance as like six years old and my mom took me to a gymnastics class and I... It didn't have, like, a bad time, but I definitely was, like, a shyer kid, so I didn't know how to talk to, like, new people and make new friends. <laughs> and then, this is the part I really remember. They had us do a couple of different activities, and then at the end, we were supposed to jump into this big foam pit. It was, like, all these foam cubes, which I'm sure you've seen, like, or gone to, like, a park, like a trampoline park or something, but... I was so afraid to jump in. I did not jump in to the foam oh, cubes. Because no. I was like, I'm going to just, in my head, I was like, I'm going to like fall through the floor. Like, there's just no guarantee I'll make it out alive. Wow. I never did gymnastics, so I could never be a cheerleader. Yeah, I I would have loved to have jumped into a foam pit. That sounds incredibly fun. I would do it now, but I was just so terrified back then. But regardless of that incident, I did think becoming a cheerleader sounded so fun. It sounded like really cool and like... One thing that I noticed while watching this movie um, is that they don't wear their uniforms constantly to school. And I feel like every other teen movie or TV show I've seen, the cheerleaders like wear their uniforms every single day to school for the entire day. Is that, like, a thing in America that actually happens, or is that just, like, a movie no. thing? At least at my school, where the cheerleading squad wasn't that, like, renowned or, or like, um, super great or anything, they did not do that, except for if there was, like, a game day, like, a really important game. But even then, I think that they just wore their warm-ups, like, not the actual mm. skirt-top combo. Yeah, I just always think of like Glee, where oh they all day. the Cheerios wear their uniforms constantly. Yeah, the other thing that surprises me about this movie is that they never have a coach. Yeah, I don't think you can have like a club in like a high school without having some sort of like teacher attached to it. Yeah, you can't. You literally can. Especially like a club where you go to like a national championship. 
All right, should we should we dive in? I think we should just dive in head first. The movie opens up with a beautiful cheer montage. We get introduced to the Rancho Carne Toros. They're a cheerleading squad in San Diego. Um, as the movie begins, you see how beautiful the neighborhood is. There's like all these huge houses and um, incredibly beautiful like front lawns and the cul-de-sacs. Their school is gorgeous, like any California school you'd see in a movie. And they have five national cheerleading championships. Yeah, they're doing they're doing very well for themselves. Um, the first character we get introduced to after Torrance is her boyfriend, Aaron, who is just the worst. He is a year older than her, and he picks up Torrance to drive her to school before moving off to Cal State. And we see a lovely little clip of her parents hating him as well. Just all around, terrible dude, super obnoxious. Yeah, you kind of wonder why... Like, how they got together, why they stayed together, when she's not obnoxious. She's, like, a pretty cool girl. But it seems like at least Courtney and Whitney, two other cheerleaders on the squad, like him. But I could not tell you why. He seems like a total tool. I mean, having Courtney and Whitney like you, I don't think is a great endorsement. (laughs) Because they are, like, two of the meanest, most insufferable characters in the movie. Yeah. So I think it, it says a lot about him that... Those are the people that like him the most. That's fair. And then it's the first day of school. And Torrance is now a senior. And that means, well, I guess not her being a senior, but the fact that the last captain is a senior and graduated, they're voting for the new captain. Very formative moments to be voted like the captain of a club or a team or something like that. I feel like that's a very classic American high school. Or is that an international feeling? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some kind of pressure to be, like, the best. I know that there was, like, a lot of pressure in my school for people to, like, get the best grades and get into the best schools. And totally. All that kind of stuff. So everyone wanted to be, like, the club leader of multiple clubs for college applications. Yeah. And then it turns out that Torrance gets captain, which she had been gunning for, is very clear. She was, like, the favorite. Yeah. And so now that she's captain, she wants to prove herself. And she has the squad do this, like, crazy pyramid. And Carver, who's one of the squad members, uh, falls and winds up in the hospital. And that sets up the storyline of them needing to find a replacement. So next we have, like, a little scene with Torrance and her mom. And this is kind of one of the only insights we get into her family life. But her mom is encouraging her to study more and focus on her academia, whereas Torrance's focus is very much on cheer. And Torrance says to her mom, mothers have killed to get their daughters on squads. And her mom says, that mother didn't kill anyone. She hired a hitman. Just a great little piece of dialogue. And it's nice to see a mother in a 2000s movie, like encouraging her daughter to focus on her academia and take advanced chem instead of just like, a toddlers and tiara type of mom that you would expect from a cheerleading movie. Yeah, I agree. I was definitely surprised that she was like, sweetie, like, isn't it going to be easier to transition to college if you study now and like get good grades now? Yeah, I was surprised. And 
this is really the only time that Torrance has a conversation with her parents. There are only one set of parents that are in the movie at all, and it is Torrance's parents. I never thought about her mom's regard for academics before we were talking mm-hmm. about it, but it is kind of funny that Torrance is like, no, this is the most important thing in my life. Yeah, I think at one point, um, like a character, I don't remember who, somebody says to her like, oh, it's only cheerleading. And she says, I am only cheerleading. Like it's the most important thing in her life. And last night I was watching, because of this movie, I decided to start watching Cheer. And that is very much like a sentiment that is echoed by a lot of the people in that documentary where it's like, this is my whole life. This is what I've worked for. This is what saved me. It's like a very defining sport for a lot of people yeah I think definitely because it's like especially with chair you can only go so far as college that's like the top level once you compete in college you can't go anywhere else with cheerleading like you could cheerlead for a sports team but even that it's mostly dancing it's not like basket tosses and stuff um yeah so when I watched chair I like totally got that too because it it's like when you join a sports team after school, and if that's all you have to look forward to, like that can be incredibly formative for you. Moving forward, we kind of get a sense of the characters in the school. We met a couple people on the cheer squad. We met Torrance's parents, the boyfriend. But now we meet a new boy in school. You can tell from his edgy shirts and dark hair, and uh, I would say the CD player that he always has, those little tiny headphones around his neck. The the Walkman. Yeah, the, exactly. Um, he is an edgier boy. I think he just moved here from L.A., which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally enters wearing a Clash t-shirt. It is the love of my life, <laughs> Cliff. <laughs> um, no surprise that I was in love with him. I still am a little bit. He's kind of a smart ass, very like witty, funny guy. He locks in on Torrance immediately when they're sitting next to each other and they flirt, have some like cute little moments. And this sets up the the whole romantic storyline for this whole movie. Yes. It's exciting to see the cheerleader and the new boy. Not a dynamic we get too often. So... After class, we're out in the open air. Everyone's passing through, doing their thing, socializing. This is homophobia alert number one. Of many. Yeah, of many. I never noticed how many slurs were in this movie, probably because I always watched it on ABC Family, where they beep out everything. But they literally don't use the word like gay or lesbian at all. They only use slurs, which is insane. Yeah. So... Two of the male cheerleaders are walking through the courtyard area. And the football players, by the way, the football team is awful. They are so bad. Trash. They use slurs against Leslie and Jan. And they call them um, Sexy Leslie and Jan Jan the cheerleading man. Not that original. No, the football players show a very, very narrow view of masculinity and what it what it means to like be a man Mm -hmm. and it's just like the classic bullying that you see in all these 2000s movies but on like a higher level because they use like really offensive slurs but yeah no i agree with you because even i would say even 
the cheerleaders like Missy when they're in the car going to the football game. She's like, do you speak beep <laughs> to yeah. Leslie? And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why are you saying that? I don't know who wrote. Well, I know who wrote. It's that woman. The woman wrote the movie. <laughs> yeah. Gwen Stefani. Yeah. I'm just like, why is this what you chose to call them? It pisses me And they're me just off. so casual about it. It pisses me off. They just like, they throw it out there so casually. You couldn't write a movie with that. Like, if you wrote a movie with that now, I feel like people would be like, oh, like, they're they're saying some stuff that you thought was left behind. Yeah, this movie is PG-13. That's and they're insane. just, like, throwing around all these words, which, like, shows, I guess, how normalized and, like, okay it was to say that kind of thing back then. If it's in this, like, super mainstream yeah. movie where they're using it not only for bullying purposes, but also just, like, casually. I agree. So. I agree. I think it definitely ages the movie. You wouldn't see a PG-13 movie saying the words, those words. A dyke isn't even a bad word, but I think that the way that they're using it is, like, completely inappropriate. Yeah, it's definitely not in a in a positive way at all. But yeah, we, we do find out later on that Leslie is... Well, it's never... He never says explicitly, like, I'm gay. He just says, I'm controversial. Yeah. But it's interesting to see at least that in a movie that came out in 2000 that they didn't show him as just like the stereotypical like gay best friend. Yeah, that's refreshing. Super feminine like stereotype that you always see. And when they show him at the end, they show him flirting with a boy at nationals and it's portrayed the exact same way as all of like the hetero flirting. Yeah. So that's good at least. It was really refreshing and surprisingly updated compared to, like, all the language that they're using. I get the sense that, like, the woman who wrote it is super, like, she's like, oh, I'm aware of how inappropriate these things are. So, like, I can write about them with authority. That's mm-hmm. the energy I'm getting yeah. from this bench. Yeah, that, that feels accurate. Um, Jan, however, was very disappointing. If you've seen the movie you know that he has a whole, like, subplot where he, like, gets under this girl's spangs and will literally, like, finger her when they're doing pyramids or lifts. And it's very unclear whether or not she's okay with it. Like, it's never... They have some, like, knowing looks that they give each other and they seem like they're on good terms. But it's also very clearly pre-Weinstein. Like, this movie was pre-Weinstein. Yeah. yeah, anything like that now, I feel like it would be just all over the internet. Like, I can't believe that you did this, like, portrayal of women. Like, that part mm-hmm. feels very... I don't know if you've ever seen Scary Movie. No. Okay, it's this funny, like, parody from Comedy Central where everything is just so incredibly outrageous. That whole finger slip subplot reminds me of that. Yeah, he just, he, like, objectifies women left and right, and you just, you hate to see I it. I hate to see it. And I mean, like, they don't, they don't exactly glorify his behavior or anything, but by using his character in these moments as comedic relief, it just kind of normalizes it. 100%. Which is, you know, still damaging. Yeah. I do have um, a weird, how do I put this? I have noticed, especially with, like, very left people being like, oh, it's okay for me to say something that could be 
like offensive to like LGBTQ plus people or it's okay for me to say something offensive to this group of people or whatever because I like know like like you know that I'm not racist so I can say this thing yeah and I'm like bitch no you can't you're still white and you still don't know what you're talking about yeah no it's it's definitely not okay in any way um so there's a dichotomy between Leslie and Jan about like being okay with sexuality like you never get the sense that any of the cheerleaders are going against each other they're like not okay with someone's sexuality or anything like that um and then you know less being bisexual or controversial whatever you want to call it and then jan being overtly heterosexual it's a very interesting like foil to each other and then you have the male dynamic how it's uncool to be a male cheerleader but all the female cheerleaders are like sexy and hot and cool and like glorified yeah it definitely shows how you know narrow of a view there was and is of masculinity and how anything that is perceived as feminine uh expressed by a man is seen as negative which really sucks yeah it was really interesting especially after watching cheer and having like a really big adoration for several characters who were like they were the men who were lifting the women and they were doing like stunting and stuff like that. And I'm like, y'all are cool. Especially Jerry. Yeah. I love Jerry. I love him. Yeah. I'm, I'm only one and a half episodes in and I, I love Jerry. I He's would, the sweetest man. Not to be dramatic, but I would probably die for him. Probably. He would probably die for you. Jerry. Yeah. Just love him. Sweetie. Love him. So moving forward, we have tryouts because they have to replace Carver and we just get a whole montage of like inadequacy, people like either not knowing how to cheer or crying. There's one dude who thinks he's auditioning for a musical. Yeah, they're having a very hard time. Then Missy comes out of the freaking cut and they Mm -hmm. do not like her look. They do not like her style. They tell her tattoos aren't allowed. And we get the iconic lick of the finger, rubbing of the arm. I got bored in second period. She's very sassy. Total badass. Yeah. Then she kills the audition. She was a gymnast. There's no gymnastics team at the school. So she does her little cheer. I'll just repeat it because it's very good. Awesome. Oh, wow. Like, totally freaked me out. I mean, right on. Toro Shurn, number one. That's what they ever say. And her response is, I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics teams. This is a last resort. She is not enthused. She doesn't have the pep. The cadence of that um, cheer, I feel like, is etched into my brain forever. Like, when she said it, it was complete muscle memory, and I said it along with her. Yeah. It was like a portal to the past. One thing that you realize from her tryout, I almost said audition, from her tryout is that it's really about athleticism at its core because Tor- because Torrance is super impressed by, you know, all the flips that she can do. Totally. And it's not just about, like, being pretty and popular, which I feel like is the mainstream, like, view of what a cheerleader is. And I think it was really big at the time for, like, a movie that's about athletic competition and excellence to be about women because they do show that, like, cheerleading is hard work. And there are real injuries. Like at the end in nationals, 
they show a girl who literally has just like blood gushing down her entire like nose and face and like one of her teeth are like missing yeah it's pretty intense they say homophobia alert number two they call her a slur um specifically courtney and missy walks out and i love this line from torrance she basically tells courtney and whitney it is not a democracy it's a cheerocracy and she says missy's the poo so take a big whiff incredible i know torrance goes to missy's house then she realizes missy and cliff are siblings this is our second viewing of cliff we get the sense that he is going to be an important character so missy comes to the door obviously and they have a little chat and like you said before she really highlights that cheering isn't just about like the glitz and the glamour it's really about athleticism and competition and they're not just a bunch of airheads jumping around in skirts you know they're trying to accomplish something and trying to like make a name for themselves really at nationals um and thankfully with cliff's help he kind of makes her listen and missy reluctantly agrees to join the squad yeah then we get to missy's first uh practice and the toros start doing one of their like classic mainstay cheers which is burr it's cold in here and missy immediately walks out and torrance is like what the hell and she's like I'm not about stealing. Like you totally ripped off those cheers and Torrance has no idea what she's talking about. So Missy drives her to East Compton and they meet the Clovers and the Clovers is run by Isis played by Gabrielle Union. And they do the birds cold in here cheer as it was originally intended. So it turns out big red, the old captain was filming and stealing their routines for years. This brings in basically the main plot of the movie the controversy of keeping like taking and then keeping um these stolen routines so after the game they go back out to the car um misty and torrance are walking over and the east compton clovers at least the three main gals they come up to her and they are not happy one of them says were the ethnic festivities to your liking and i think this is Gabrielle Union's line. Every time we get some, here y'all come trying to steal it, put some blonde hair on it, and call it something different. They almost get into a fight, and they drive off. Torrance is basically broken. Missy is kind of like riding high on the fact that they almost got into a fight. She thinks it's kind of cool, but Torrance realizes that if they're going to have a successful season, they need to make new routines, and they need to do it quickly. And she knows that that's the right thing to do after learning about the fact that, like, her entire career was basically a fraud. Yeah, we have, like, a little moment where Torrance talks about how she thinks that she's cursed because at cheer camp the summer before, she dropped the spirit stick. And I looked it up, and these are real. <laughs> I did not know that. I thought it was just, like, a funny thing for this movie. But they're real, and they've been in tradition since the 50s. But she drops the, the spirit stick and there's this one other cheerleader that says, like, whoever drops the spirit stick goes to Hades in this, like, deep demonic that voice. That voice is embedded in my mind. It was so creepy to watch when I was a little girl. I was like, okay. Nightmare fuel. Yeah, so then the next day at school, like, Torrance tells the squad what happened. And everybody except for Missy, Torrance, and Les are like, let's just use the stolen routine. We don't have time 
to come up with a new one. And so they're like, all right, fine. I guess we have to do that. Yeah. Reluctantly, they agree to just do the stolen routines. It's not right. But she is outvoted and she doesn't want to, I think really she does it because she doesn't want to lose favor with everyone after Mm -hmm. she already accidentally like injured Carver. So at the football game, we get another little cliff moment. Torrance is cheering and I forget who comes up to them, but they're like, you guys are having cheer sex because they're just staring right into the depths of each other's eyes. While she's jumping around. Yeah, fully undressing each other yes, with their eyes. Exactly. Then the Clovers show up and they completely upstage the Tauros. They basically do a mirroring of the Tauros routine, except with more, with honestly better choreography, mm-hmm. more spirit, more cheer, cheersing, cheer. <laughs> <laughs> Just more and more everything. everything. It's better. It's better. It's sparkly. It is the original. And that showed everyone that the Toros stole their routine. Yeah. At the end, after they finished doing like the chair and sing with them, the Clovers say, tried to steal our bit, but you look like shit, but we're the ones who are down with it. And like everybody knows that they stole. Yeah. So finally, after this like public outing, the rest of the squad finally agrees that they need to come up with a new cheer. Yeah. After the game, we head straight to the sleepover scene. Every 2000s movie needs a good sleepover scene. It is not complete mm-hmm. without a little, let me stay over at a friend's house. So this is a twofer, really, because you get the sleepover scene, but the crush is also in it because Missy and Cliff are siblings. So... Torrance goes to the bathroom to brush her teeth and stops by Cliff's door. Cliff is shredding on the electric guitar, just completely going off. I would never have the balls to do that with my door open, but never go off, King, sure. And she watches him for a bit until she gets caught by Missy, which is like horrifying to me. I would not want to be in her position. And Cliff sees her watching him. There's clear flirtation going on it is so transparent um which really comes back to bite him in the ass later on the sexual tension is palpable and it really this is probably my favorite like scene in this entire movie. right now you're like you're like getting hot and bothered i'm so emotional about this scene we have this like very small scene of them of torns and cliff like brushing their teeth next to each other in the bathroom there's no dialogue because it's not needed. It is not. And yeah, they are just like brushing their teeth and then each one of them like spits after the other and it kind of becomes like a little like one-upping like who can spit more or whatever. And they're just like flirting and like looking at each other in the eyes. At the end, he does like a giant spit and then like wipes his mouth and gives her like this beautiful, big beaming smile and like walks out and she's like, oh my gosh. And that... I'm getting like so excited just talking about it because that scene was like huge for me when I was a kid. I was like, oh my God, the power of subtext is crazy. Yes, it's very, it's like silly and wholesome. The movie's actually Mm -hmm. shockingly wholesome. There isn't a lot of like, there is a lot of sexual innuendo and like references, but we don't even see anyone have sex in this movie. Or like the biggest kiss we have is like at the end of the movie. So, after that, um, the next morning, 
she's been trying, Torrent has been trying to reach her boyfriend for days, if not weeks, and he finally calls her back. Friends, this is before the era of Snapchat and Instagram and texting and DMing. <laughs> yeah. So when someone didn't call you back, you were essentially cut off from them. Uh, it turns out Aaron is cheating on Torrance. Shocker. He went to college. And in his stupid brain, pea brain, he thinks he has good advice for Torrance. And he says, here is the name of a choreographer. Get him to choreograph your routine. Don't worry about it. He'll fix everything. Like, you'll have a routine in time for regionals. And she says, like, is this allowed? Like, I don't know. And he's like, sweetie, everyone does it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So they have to get money to hire this choreographer um, who's named Sparky Palastri. And they decide in classic 2000 style to have a car wash. Mm -hmm. And does this like actually happen? Do people actually do like car washes to raise money? I've never seen it other than in a movie. Yes. I would say 100%. Like I was in chorus and we had a car wash people do car washes but it is not like it is in american teen movies like you wouldn't wear a bikini if someone did i would be really surprised it wasn't anything like sexy or cool it was really just like this is an easy way to make money because soap is cheap uh this is like another example of a pre-weinstein type scene yeah, all the girls are, like, in bikinis and, you know, we have, like, kind of like a home video style shot mm -hmm. where it looks like somebody on the squad is, like, filming their car wash. And it is, like, pretty male gazy, but I think it's a little bit self-aware. Because Missy talks about, like, oh, yeah, we're doing this so that, you know, weird men will come by. And I think she says, like, ogle my goodies or yeah, something like fully. that. <laughs> yeah, so they, like, at least acknowledge the fact that it's, like, kind of weird. But it is... A little bit uncomfortable that like these are supposed to be teenagers yeah it's definitely weird for a pg-13 movie when they're literally i don't i hope the viewers know the viewers your listeners i hope the listeners <laughs> yeah. understand how incredibly sexual this scene is it's literally like them putting their boobs on the car <laughs> to like wash it off yeah and it's totally funny but it's also like they're in high school they're supposed to be in high school yeah i think some of the actors are like 19 years old but yeah, uh, it's pretty intense for a PG-13 movie. Yeah. And of course, our, our boy Cliff also comes to get his like completely mud slathered car washed by Torrance, yes. which actually made me think of in a Cinderella story when like the oh, twins yeah. like cake their, their cars in mud and then show up to the car wash. So Austin will like wash their cars. Yeah. Yeah. So then they do end up raising the money and they hire Sparky and He's, you know, insane. Um, he's basically like a Bob Fosse wannabe. He talks about like spirit fingers. Mm -hmm. And there's also just like a lot of him doing a lot of like body shaming and encouragement of eating disorders. Yeah. It's very, it's portrayed in a super like comedic way where also it's kind of funny that um he makes a comment about this girl's ass being huge. Like, He's like, perfect body, da-da-da. And then he looks behind her and he's like, but this but. So it's definitely a pre-Kardashian movie. No one would say that mm -hmm. to a woman anymore. I feel like now it's like, the yeah. bigger but, the better. But we kind of talked about the culture of eating disorders and different body expectations. And it's 
really reminiscent to me of even the last movie we saw where it's um, popular to be super skinny. Like, all the actresses are really skinny, but they don't have six-packs. Like, they're not shredded, and I feel like now there's an expectation to be incredibly, like, fit and tight. It's not just about being thin. I feel like there's yeah. an expectation of, like, really big breasts and really big butt. Um, and I was kind of talking about how Americans didn't really diet or begin exercising until, like, the 80s. I feel like that's when it became popular to, like, get a gym membership or, like, like jazzercising and, like, stuff like that. Um before then, it really wasn't popular to work out, to, like, go and actually try to lose weight. And you can tell the difference, too, between the way Sparky Pilatri talks. And he's like, think about everything you ate today. Now cut it in half, and that's what you should be eating. This is a diet, girls. Mm-hmm. So it's a really old school. That part ages the movie as well. And he says to Darcy as well, he's like, whereas you, like, don't eat anything. And because, like, if you don't eat, then your body will, like, yeah. feed off of its fat storage or whatever. And he's like, and maybe if you don't eat enough, then your body will eat your ass or something like that. And it's just, like, so horrible and disheartening to see teenagers talk to you this way. It sucks. Yeah. I do. I would love to talk to someone from that era and kind of get a sense for if they were expected to, like, if they felt like those expectations were mm-hmm. true in real life, too. Like, I feel like when this movie came out, um, low-rise jeans were really popular and crop tops and tube tops. Whenever I look at the fashion from that time period, it's, like, all super skinny. Whereas I feel like now mm-hmm. there's definitely, like, boxier shapes, like, People are wearing boxier clothing or, like, clothing that kind of, like, drapes over you, like, big oversized sweatshirts, oversized t-shirts and stuff like that. And, obviously, high-waisted jeans. So, yeah, I think there's, like, a really big difference, and I'd be curious to know more. People who grew up during that time, they felt that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, next we have another cute little scene between Torrance and Cliff. They're, like, on the swings at um, Missy and Cliff's house. They're, by the way, beautifully stunning mansion. Yes. It is huge. That family is loaded. <laughs> but he, like, she kind of just talks about her fears and he really encourages her. And it's a total contrast to Aaron. And he says, like, I believe in you. And it's really nice to see her get this support, especially since she's been facing so much adversity from her squad because they don't trust her leadership. And then they, I forgot that they, like, literally almost kiss. Their yes. lips are basically touching. And it made me gasp watching it as a 24-year-old. So I was like, oh my gosh, I was so scandalized. I'm so scandalized. Toss his hair back. Um, Yes. As their lips are about to touch, we have a classic sister barging in moment. TM, trademark, copyright. Um, And she, I don't even know what she says because at that moment I'm just infuriated. But... (laughs) You could definitely cut the tension with a knife. I kind of forget the fact that she has a boyfriend at that point because I hate him so much and he's not around. But it really is cheating. Yeah, it's kind of like a trope that you see in a lot of movies when in order to get the audience on the side of the like romantic storyline that the movie is uplifting, where they just throw in like a horrible, like unredeemable 
boyfriend or girlfriend on the side to like make you automatically root for the couple that the movie is focusing on. And that way they don't really have to do any kind of like development of like, well, why should I be invested in this couple? Because you're already immediately invested because you hate like the other significant other so Mm -hmm. much. I definitely, well, first of all, I will never let my kid go to college with a significant other. That sounds harsh, but (laughs) oh my gosh, it's like, why would you do it? I get that it works out for some people, but you are such a different person by the time you come Mm -hmm. out of college, unless that person's willing to really grow and change with you, or you don't care about stifling your personality. Yeah, go ahead. But it's just not shocking to me that he cheats on her. And it's not shocking to me that she wants to be with someone who's actually a good person. It also, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why he stays with Torrance because he doesn't like talk to her. He doesn't respond to her phone calls. Yeah. He like never sees her. So it's not like he's getting any like, like the benefits of, I don't know, like maybe like sleeping with her or whatever he would be getting. So like, just break up with her. Yeah, just end it. This also set me up for really unrealistic expectations where I was going to get, like, swept off my feet by some edgy, cool new guy. Oh, yeah. I definitely still have those expectations to this day. I'm just like, wow, like, let's root for the underdog. Like, this nice guy, he's so sweet and, like, edgy. But in reality, I mean, this guy in the movie, he is pretty. He's pretty kind altogether. Um. That is not the case in real life. I feel like a lot of edgy guys, yeah. especially in New York, are pieces of fucking yeah. shit. They're trash. <laughs> garbage. Garbage people. Yeah, most of the like edgy men like that are not emotionally available not, at all. They're like, I'm, focus- yeah. I'm focusing on my art. I'm trying to make things happen. I'm sorry. Yeah. Or they're like, I'm or they're like, I, I like, I don't, I don't want to like hurt you. So like, I can't be with you, but we just, we can't be in a relationship because I, I don't want to hurt you. And I'm like, lies, lies in Manelli. Tell me that you don't want to be in a relationship. That's yeah. fine. Just be on it. Okay. I digress. Yeah. I digress. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving forward, we then see them at regionals and the Clovers made it and they are incredible, amazing, stunning, beautiful, iconic. And then the Toros are getting a little bit nervous they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, we have our routine. And then you hear in the distance the same song that their routine is to. And they go out and it's the exact same routine right before they have to go on. Oof. Obviously, there's nothing they can do. They have to go on. So they go on and they perform the exact same routine. And while I was watching it, all I could think was, like, this is the 2000 version of the classic book. Um, but in this version, it's retitled to Torrance and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. She has an awful shit day. So she gets pulled over. I don't know why I said pulled over. She's walking. She gets pulled aside by the guy who's in charge of the regionals. And she finds out Sparky sold that routine to six other squads up and down the West Coast. The Sheer Association does let the Toros continue on to nationals. So they will get to compete in Daytona because they're the returning champs. But this starts to cause a really big dilemma for Torrance. Erin, her boyfriend, suggests that she give up being captain. She's like, or um, Erin says that not everyone is made to be captain. Maybe this just isn't for her. Maybe Courtney and Whitney should take over, which is complete crap. I cannot believe that you would tell your girlfriend that she should give up being captain. Like he's the least supportive. 
she's just been like completely destroyed by this like public humiliation. He's like, maybe you're just not exactly Captain Material. Awful. I love that. I love when someone who's supposed to care about you doesn't believe in you. And you're like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. What's the point of keeping you around? Why are you here? You're too- yeah. you're wasting air. Yeah. So Aaron drives her home and like grossly makes out with her before she gets yeah. out of the car. And then we see <sighs> that sweet, sweet baby Cliff is standing at her door with flowers. And this is when he realizes, obviously, that she has a boyfriend. And it breaks my heart every time because he's just standing there with his heart in his hands Trying to be supportive. He has flowers. Love interest. He has a beautiful bu- mm-hmm. bouquet of non-roses because we can't forget he's an edgy scene boy. Yeah, and on top of that, he wrote her a song that he burned onto a cassette tape. And he just like, he's like, oh yeah, I made this for you as he like walks away. And obviously he's like done trying to pursue her. And she's, it's sad. And then um, she goes upstairs and sitting on her bed and listens to the song that he wrote for her, which is called Just What I Need, a classic bop. I just want to say it has never been easier to make a mixtape. It has never. The easiest option would be to just make a freaking playlist. Can I even get a playlist? Can I get a playlist? (laughs) No. Raise your hand if you've gotten a playlist. Uh, Actually, you can't see us. But my hand is not raised. I am saying this. I'm remembering that I did. <laughs> you got a playlist. Yeah. Um, wait, if I say a name, can you bleep it out? Do you have sound effects? Yeah, I can, okay. I can bleep it out. <laughs> Maybe me a mix, not a mixtape, a, a playlist on Spotify. And it was like woman in music, like woman musicians that he thought I would enjoy. And mm-hmm. I actually really like the playlist. I went to go listen to it towards the end of our relationship. Here's the kicker. Shit wasn't there. Shit wasn't there. And I oh. worked with this guy at the time, so I was like, I had to see him. And I was like, I looked for this the other day. Did you delete it or is it like hidden or something? And he was like, oh, I was cleaning up old playlists. So I just deleted it. And I was like, you p- Actually, don't don't put in the part where I call. <laughs> but I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It costs zero dollars to leave a playlist up on Spotify. That's all I'm saying. Zero dollars and zero cents. Yeah, I did. I remember when I watched this movie as a kid. I was like, "Oh my god, I would love if somebody wrote a song about me." And then somebody did write a song about me in high school, but I didn't like him back, and it was just kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he posted it on Facebook. And then later on, he started liking somebody else, and then he changed the lyric from blonde hair to brown hair. <laughs> so it was no longer about me, which is good. We love reducing, reusing, and recycling, but not when it comes to um, anything having to do with an ex. You weren't even an ex. You were a crush. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but this is, the, this is the turning point in the movie for Torrance. She, like is prompted by this, like, amazing song that Cliff has written to, like, take control of the squad, and she, like, totally whips them into shape, and she's like, this is our chance to finally be original. So they study, like, swing dance, interpretive dance, mime, martial arts, and musical theater to, like, really round out their performance into something totally unique. Yeah, there's a lovely montage of them doing some interpretive dance, some whatever else they do, so 
After she whips her squad into shape, she's making it happen. She breaks up with her dumb little boyfriend um, and basically throws what he said about her not being captain material back at him and says, maybe you're just not exactly, hmm, boyfriend material. And she slams the door open to reveal the woman getting dressed behind him, um, who leaves him immediately when she finds out that he's a cheerleader. So as they're working hard, making sure they bring it all to nationals, uh, we cut back to the Clovers. We've been kind of missing for a large part of the movie, but they can't afford to go to nationals. And when Torrance finds out, she talks to her dad and she says, your company has to sponsor them. This is the right thing to do. And I think that her parents really appreciate the fact that she's standing up for something. I think mm-hmm. that they wanted to see that in her before. Like, they wanted to see her care about something other than sheer. So um, her father makes it happen. He gets a big check for the Clovers. And Torrance brings it over to them so that they can go to nationals. And Isis goes up to Torrance. And Torrance explains, like, I got my dad's company to sponsor you guys. Like, here's the money for nationals. And Isis, being the bold, awesome captain that she is, she's like, I am going to provide for my squad. I don't need any handouts. And even though Torrance says it's not a handout, Isis knows that in order for them to really feel self-sufficient and finally disconnect from this, like, really toxic situation, she can't take the money. She rips up the check and says that she's going to take care of her squad. They actually do get the money. Um, They ask Pauletta, who was this really successful talk show and is originally from East Compton, um, to sponsor them to go to nationals. And they write this really beautiful letter. And this part of the movie um, kind of shines a light on the white savior complex. Yeah, I think uh, I was reading an article by B. David Zarley on Vice, and it's called Chirocracy forever, the enduring superiority of bring it on. And they say like in this moment, Torrance realizes that like to be an ally is not the same as being a messiah, which I think is like very accurate. And it's not, it's not about like ISIS or the Clovers having like too much pride or whatever. It's just about like getting support from within their own community and uplifting each other. And I think it's like a really, it's a subtle nuance in the movie, but I think it's really important. I agree. To show this team uplifting themselves. 100%. I think it's definitely more about like buying back the block mentality Mm -hmm. where it's, it's just like what you said, finding empowerment through your own community instead of someone white telling you what you do and you don't need. Definitely. So surprisingly nuanced and pretty dope for a movie that also uses gay slurs just very much throughout and also has like a questionable, I think that's like something I think about when I watch this movie. I'm like the racial dynamics I can't tell if it's, like, I'm, like, altogether, this is, like, a good story, or if I'm, like, this is still, Mm -hmm. like, fucked up in a lot of ways. Yeah, I definitely am not in a position to be qualified or, like, have a fully formed opinion about it because, like, I am white, but I think it's, the movie is definitely ahead of its time. Yeah with regards to, like, race and cultural appropriation, because so many of, like, the themes and what happens in this movie is so relevant to today. Like, I was telling Mo the other day that when I was watching this movie, it made me think of, like, 
the fact that I know this is, is crazy, but it, th- it makes me think of this like TikTok drama that happened like a few months oh, ago. Yeah. yeah, like on TikTok, there's a dance to the song Renegade. I think that's what the song's called. I'm not sure. But the dance was made by a 14-year-old girl named Jalea. I could be pronouncing it wrong. My bad. But uh, she's like a 14-year-old black girl that choreographed this dance. And Charlie D'Amelio, who is one of the like most popular people on TikTok, like did the dance. And like that's what popularized it. And everybody thought that she made it up. And she, like, got a Super Bowl commercial. She, like, was on Jimmy Fallon. Like, she's getting all these opportunities. And the original creator of the dance didn't get any of those. And it was, like, really messed up. And I think eventually uh, they did meet and they did the dance together and, like, posted it on TikTok. And, like, now she's starting to get more, like, recognition. But it's basically this movie. (laughs) It's still happening with teenagers today. Yeah, it's really... Um, if you want to get deep into it, it truly is about the visibility of different bodies and who gets seen and who people mm-hmm. feel in imbo- like, mm, I don't know if embodies is the right word, but like people are more likely to make like this white girl dancing blow up than a black girl because mm-hmm. of like, whether you're outwardly expressing it or not, the subtle, you know, racist thing, like the subtle racist in, in, intuitions that are coursing through anyone at any given point like the more likelihood that you are going to promote something that is familiar to you or that is Mm -hmm. more palatable to you than promoting something that's actually original or right like a lot of Mm -hmm. girls on tiktok are blowing up a lot of like white girls from doing what are at their core like more hip-hop dances and more yeah like yeah and so I think that in itself is like a form of, I don't know, of appropriation sounds too extreme, but there is a lot of like virtual, this is a whole other thing, like virtual blackface. Yeah. And you see, you see it a lot with like language and like in music as well with like both like singing style and just like musical style. Like if you look at somebody like Ariana Grande, who, you know, is white, but a lot of people like who don't know her background assume that she is a person of color but she's not bro i dead i dead dead thought she was hispanic i fucking hate that i i just didn't know i really thought she yeah. was hispanic i don't know because her last name is like grande or like i i thought i had heard that that's that was the case but no it's not yeah, she because like Grande, she's Italian, I believe, right? Yeah, she is Italian. Yeah, and I also thought Alana Glazer was a light-skinned black woman for a really long time. But yeah. on the show, like on Broad City, we've talked mm-hmm. about this before. She is super appropriative to other cultures. Like she has this huge hoop mm-hmm. earrings that say like Latina on them, and she likes yeah. to use like slang that's from historically from like different cultures that she's like mm-hmm. meeting her own um yeah so now we know we're older mm-hmm. and now we know things yes and i think it's i think it's really cool to see like those things touched on in this movie 20 years ago yeah from that moment of the clovers you know finding their own funding we switch over to nationals and the first thing that really happens is that Isis and Torrance have a very touching moment. I really like this part 
of the movie because while they're not nice to each other, I don't even know if they they would consider each other friends. They do understand each other, um, and Isis really has respect for Torrance now that she realizes she isn't mm-hmm. interested in copying anything from her. She doesn't want to cheat from her. She she is really expressed, and Isis is also really expressed that they both need to go as hard as they can in this competition. They need to bring it on, as they say in their conversation. Yeah. It was really corny. But yeah, they kind of like both realize that they just want to be the best cheerleaders and they want to focus on that, not the fucked up dynamics that they've had in the past. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see like they just have this like respect for each other as captains and as competitors. And I think it really highlights like the spirit of like sportsmanship and and, like athletics Mm -hmm. and just that they're both pursuing excellence. So the stakes are really high. The Clovers perform and like they kill it once again. Nobody is surprised. They're like absolutely incredible. And the athleticism is insane. And I was reading and they did cast like a lot of real life cheerleaders throughout this whole movie, which doesn't surprise me. And they actually had all like the the lead actors do a four week cheer camp because they wanted to like limit the amount of stunt doubles that they would have to use. So like you do see the actors' faces in a lot of the stunts that they do, which is I think really impressive. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we see the Toros perform, and you can see all of their influences. They really do an homage to a lot of the yeah. film because they have all of those different styles like when Torn's like we're going to study all these different styles of dance they put a lot of different stuff in there they also have a little sample of Cliff's song and after getting a firm talking to from his sister Cliff did show up to nationals um this really makes Torrance happy this is their best routine by far because it really showcases their talents and they put their heart into it picking the music, doing the choreography. And because it's theirs, mm-hmm. this is the best performance they've ever had. Yeah, it's not just like a watered-down version of better choreography. Yeah. Um, so then it's it's the end of the competition, and the Clovers win. Yeah, I forgot that they won. I was really yeah. happy to see that they won because, I mean, the Toros are happy with second place. And they're finally happy mm-hmm. because they know that they did it by themselves and they did it in like a positive way and not a negative way. Um, mm-hmm. I think if they had the Toros win, like the directors would be missing the point. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't take the easy way out and just like have the Toros win. And like low key, having the Clovers win actually made me really emotional, um, which I didn't expect just because. Um, it's like really awesome to see a woman like Isis like fully own her success and have no sense of like self-deprecation or lessening about it cuz like her and Tor- her and Torrance have a conversation afterwards and um Isis does say like you guys were pretty good and Torrance says yeah you were better yeah and she's like yeah we were and I'm like that's dope that she's just like yeah we were and like completely owning this like huge accomplishment that she's made yeah i love watching this movie um Gabrielle Union's character has so much confidence. She's never Mm -hmm. doubting herself or thinking that they don't deserve to go to nationals, thinking that they can't afford nationals. She knows that they're going to have a great routine and that whatever needs to happen, she'll figure it out, which I feel Mm -hmm. like 
is totally lacking in a lot of other characters from this time period. Especially the protagonist, really. Yeah. I feel like the protagonist often gets stuck with, like, having a lot of insecurities about themselves. Yeah, and especially with, like, having a, like, a lead character of color just totally, like, owning all of her accomplishments. It's not something that you would see a lot 20 years ago, and it's not even something you see a lot now. Mm, yeah. So after that, our boy Cliff comes up, has a little chat with Torrance, and they finally kiss. It's very satisfying. And, like, everybody is cheering and celebrating, and then we have the ending of the movie, which is, like, a little dance montage blooper reel scene set to Hey Mickey. Yeah, I, I've never really found Kirsten Dunst to be super appealing. Like, I don't look at her and I'm like, oh, you're the lead a cheerleader in a movie. But, because I think of her as more of, like, shy or reserved, she can be really comedic. Like, I think her comedic timing mm-hmm. in this movie is really good. And especially yeah. when she does more outrageous things, like when she's dancing on the bed or she has that awesome scene, the like dream sequence in the beginning. She is so like expressive and fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that as like an actor, that is a really hard thing to do and look, make it look natural. So coming from someone yeah. I don't even associate doing that style, like I think her range in this movie is incredible. Yeah. And she was, she was like 18 or 19 when they yeah. filmed this. And like she gives like such a honest and bold performance. I really, really enjoyed watching. So, um, so do we have any any final thoughts before we do our ranking? My final thoughts. Hmm. I think that this is a really great movie about sportsmanship, about questioning what you believed to be true. I don't know if everything was portrayed perfectly or if it covered all of its bases or anything, but I do think that if anything I can take away from watching this movie is that you need to like check yourself and question yourself. Just because you've been taught something doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah. I think that like at its core, this movie is about like integrity and like honesty and the pursuit of excellence and like pushing yourself. Which I think is all, like, very important, especially, like, for a young person to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of it hasn't aged very well, which, you know, is kind of to be expected. But I do think there is a lot of good stuff in there that shouldn't be discounted. Yeah, I would agree. What would you give this movie in terms of a rating? Um, I mean, overall, like we said, there's a lot of you know, homophobia and, like, slurs that is really not great. I'm going to rate it like I saw on ABC Family without the slurs. Yeah, without without the slurs, I feel like I would give it probably, like, an 8 because I did really, really enjoy watching it. I think, like, a lot of the comedy actually holds up pretty well. Like, I found myself laughing out loud at it. Yeah, I would give it an 8, too. Great. So thank you so much to everybody for listening. Um, You can follow us on Instagram. It is Movies That Raised Us. We put out a lot of uh, episode-themed content. And um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Don't we have uh, another platform you can follow us on? You can also follow us on Twitter. That is up and running now. It is mtru underscore pod. 
and you can get all of our updates and some of my really corny jokes. Oh, she's witty. You're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> I can be I can be witty if I have time to think about it. I just need to like plan it in advance. Um, if you enjoyed listening to our soothing soft voices, please subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe. I don't know if you can subscribe on Spotify, but please like, rate, and subscribe. It is really, really appreciated. Yeah. yeah, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Movies That Raised Us. We are Mo and Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye! Bye.